good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Strategy Cafe. Um, we're delighted to be back after having had the summer off, and um, we've got some great forthcoming attractions. So uh, stay tuned at the end to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, for those of you who are new to it, the cafe is our monthly leadership magazine, and um, what we try and do is pick interesting topics. Uh, and in particular, uh, we like to interview successful leaders and hear how they have tackled these issues, which I think is a great way of learning because you pick up the context and understand why they came to their approach and how they tackled it. And um, it's um, you know probably one of the best ways to sort of really pick up great tips from good leaders. And um, our hope is that you find it useful, inspirational for your own leadership challenges. And it kind of fits in with our purpose, which is to help you as a leader to lead better, which is a bit of a mix of getting your strategy right and then uh, enabling your leadership with delivery, helping you energize your teams and get that overall performance um, going, going in your organization. Cafe is also a nice way to connect with you all and share our thinking. So we're really pleased to hear your suggestions for subjects and improvement. So, um, please do feedback. Um, if you look at the control panel as you've logged in, you'll see that there's a questions area. So you can put questions in for today's speaker and you can also chat back to us and send us suggestions for speakers you'd like to hear from or other subjects you'd like to have us cover. So don't forget to put your questions up and we can uh, forward them on to um, today's uh, speaker. So absolutely delighted uh, today uh, to be talking about mediation. Um, we do quite a lot of mediation as part of our practice. And so I was um, um, really pleased to be introduced uh, recently to Suzanne Kingston, um, who is probably one of the world's leading um, mediators from the family law context, uh, but much wider than that. So um, I'm just going to um, say hi, hi, Suzanne, and maybe just please introduce yourself to today's audience. Hi Nick, thanks very much for those kind words and the introduction. Yes, I'm a family lawyer dealing with all things to do in, re in respect of relationships. So dealing with divorces, cohabitation, as well as international cases that sort of wide ranging across the world. I'm a, an accredited mediator and also a collaborative lawyer and an accredited arbitrator. Also, I help um, families in terms of facilitation. When they go through difficulties, I try and assist them to reach solutions. So it's all about, as far as I'm concerned, helping families reach, um, to resolve disputes and reach the best solution for them. Um, it was it was wonderful um, to meet you. I mean, our, our, so our context uh, for 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 helping resolve conflict is is a little different. Although I think we cross over. Actually, as you dig into your experience and your practice, I think we cross over a lot. Um, I, I found it wonderful because it was just great to meet someone who's um, lived and breathed it so much, just as 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 we have. And so you can kind of compare notes. Um, and for me, just the curiosity of um, meeting someone like you, Suzanne, who'd come from a, a very different context. So when we were chatting, you were telling me about the initial parts or before you got into mediation. So how you started as a divorce lawyer. Um, yes. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. Yeah, so 
very litigious, really, uh, going to court most days and really fighting uh, a great deal and being led by the clients very much down that route because at that stage there weren't all of the other ranges of dispute resolution as there are now. And so you didn't have many choices. And I felt really bad for clients because I noted how polarizing it was to be involved in litigation and how difficult it was for them going forward in their new lives often unable to communicate at all that trust and communication having been destroyed by being in court and going through the litigation process i yeah, i remember you saying about um uh, you know the litigation sort of almost forces people in this situation to um say unspeakable or unrecoverable things um, and uh, we were chatting about it because uh, we come across situations. So, for example, in family business, this can this can often happen, where where it's you know it's really destroyed. Um, you know, I was interested in your experience of that. Just once people have said things that can't be taken back, what are the consequences? Yeah, absolutely. I suppose one of the things when you're going through litigation in a family context is that you make statements, you draft statements saying terrible things about the other person, perhaps about them being mean financially or a bad parent and citing all the examples of that sort of behaviour. And that I think then you get to the brink and there's no way back. So even though you both know as a mother and father that it would be sensible to sit down and try and um, you know talk about for example your children and how best to deal with them going forward you just can't do it because you've read really very difficult things about you said by the other person and therefore you just can't come back from the brink of that and that I think is a real issue in litigation things can't be unsaid yeah, and we were talking about the consequences just going down the years, weren't we? And, um, you know, once that started to happen and the relationship is kind of sundered through the, I mean, the process is set up to make to make people fight, really, isn't it? And yeah. um, that then has consequences for nieces and nephews and grandchildren. Yeah, and, you know, one of the things that I remember hearing from clients, you know, a lot at that time was what I'd really like to do would be to be at a family wedding with my ex. But having lived through the litigation, there's no way we can do that. We just can't be in the same room together. And so I think that is a real issue in terms of connectivity and communication going forward. I think it's very hard and um, I also think that, I mean, certainly from our experience when you're uh, taking clients through these sort of difficult uh, conversations, the experience they have or the learning and training they have in how to talk to each other about stuff which frankly they're finding super emotional it is limited. Their their, I'm going to say their competency. There's no, there's no training around really to teach people how to do that well other than through life and perhaps if you you know you do have a family where there's more of a practice of that uh it might be there but for for many many people that experience of sort of talking through the emotional difficulties is just not there so they don't handle it very well in my experience and um so it's curious isn't it you then throw them into this massive legal fight so um and it, and it can completely fracture uh, the relationships and has consequences for everybody in the family which is awful so i was just curious as to i mean when you were starting mediation wasn't really a thing then but how, so how did you get into it 
So I trained in about 1997 when it was just um, out in family law and there were very few people trained. I was one of the first and I just knew that there had to be a better way of dealing with the sorts of cases that we dealt with. And the idea of acting as an independent neutral facilitator with two clients in the room, if possible, although obviously, and I'll explain this later, you can do shuttle mediation. You, the mediator can move between the two rooms, but generally they're in the same room and hearing and noting the communication and helping people communicate and seeing the sort of seismic change, the paradigm shift, I was absolutely amazed and instantly knew that if people could come into mediation, that was a good way of dealing with the sort of difficulties that they were going through at the end of their relationship. Um, I remember you telling me that um, one of the transformational experiences was rather than these awful um, reactions to poisonous litigation coming through the door, instead was that you could even imagine having um, supper together. Yeah, so after a mediation that's resolved well, quite often the clients have learnt during the course of the mediation how to communicate effectively, they remain friends, they do um, sometimes, you know, for example, it promotes the sharing of the care of the children and they are able to spend time together in the future, perhaps things like having a shared Christmas day, which in litigation terms would generally be unthinkable. Yeah, yeah. Um, so instantly transformational. And um, so I'm curious then, so um, at that point when you discovered that mediation was a much better way forwards, did you transfer all of your cases straight into mediation or was it still a mix? You know, at what point did it become just, just a mediation or has that, has that never happened? That's never happened, partly because I think that you have to screen well and consider carefully with the client what's best for the client. Some people need litigation because legal principles need to be resolved. Other people need litigation because or, or can't do anything other than litigation because their ex, their partner, just won't even engage in any other process. They say it's litigation or nothing. You know, yeah. that, that's the only way, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. And so you have to be really mindful of what's right for the client and have a number of things, I think, in your kit bag to explain to the client so that they fully understand and engage with the best process for them. So there's a whole range of ways that we can deal with things in family. But I have been amazed in particular by the positive outcomes in mediation. Um, it's an interesting point and one of the things we always look for is that I think that um, you um, if if the relationship is such that although there are problems when you talk to them individually there's still a positive outcome that they can go for which feels realistic they feel like they can trust that they could have that positive outcome then there's something to mediate I feel like if the trust is completely gone so that the state of the relationship is poor it's very very poor before you start you can get to a point where there's li literally no sense of a positive outcome and I think you need that energy to be able to mediate really because if there's no sense of a trustworthy positive outcome it's hard I, I find anyway I don't know what your thoughts are on that yeah no exactly and I think you know there's a number of questions that I would use early on and they would be surrounded like for example one question may be 
can you imagine seeing something from the other person's point of view and yeah. if they say absolutely not you know i just yeah. can't be in their shoes then i don't think that that shows signs uh, as as a potential mediation another may be do you think you'll be able to compromise at all are there things that you're able to consider that you may be prepared to give up in for the greater good of the family and you know just talking through that sort of potential outcome really gets in my head at least whether or not this could be a case for mediation and people generally self-select they come in and they start talking about it and they themselves are energized by the prospect of mediation if they think it's the right way forward um so let's get into um how you then sort of took this out and expanded it um uh, um, uh, the idea of arbitration uh, and as a, as a slight tweak on it and then I think you talked about hybrid and you talked about yeah. more complex cases so you know you obviously you got into this got used to it and you know loved it and found it really valuable and then felt that it was much wider use for all of this so tell us tell us what you then did yeah so as a, a leader's point I think I've always thought that if you're passionate about something and creative you can really make things work and i really thought genuinely that this was a really good way of dealing with very difficult situations in a family law context so mediation i trained and i would got that up and running and i had a very big and thriving mediation practice i then was interviewed by the um uh, chartered institute of, of arbitrators to see if i would be interested in training family lawyers in arbitration and I should there just say what the difference is so in mediation it's a voluntary process and the mediator just acts effectively as a facilitator and doesn't impose an outcome whereas arbitration you sign up and it's a binding process you can't really get out of it very easily and the arbitrator effectively gives a judgment at the end so it's like private adjudication private judging and so that we realized that the courts were basically in disarray there's huge waiting lists etc and we were trying to think of the best way possible to ensure that clients could have a judgment an outcome if they wanted to so got a group of people together and started talking about how we could make arbitration work in a family law context knowing that it worked well in commercial but obviously family law is a very very different type of law got together started writing the rules and bit by bit we realized that it could be successful we launched really without um, knowing how positive it was going to be in the future but taking a bit of a risk which is another leader's point i think risk taking is sometimes something you've got to do you've got to be prepared to try something and hope it works yeah. In this instance, it really did. The judges got behind us and they absolutely gave full encouragement to the whole idea of arbitration. And it's gone on from strength to strength. And we've now got arbitration in both financial cases and children cases. And really, we are now the world leader in terms of family law arbitration. It's amazing. I mean, it's such a fabulous uh, extension of the concept of mediation. So I think I think I get it. We were talking about how you pick. Um, 
between mediation and arbitration and that point that if you're going down the arbitration route there's a judgment at the end which is binding so you have to select the cases um tell us a little bit about how you select well again it's uh, about screening talking to clients clients who are prepared to agree at the outset that they'll be bound by the decision of the arbitrator where there isn't that much latitude once you're in the process but there are massive benefits of arbitration as well um, you can deal with the whole case much more quickly you know you're going to have an outcome you're able to choose your arbitrator and stick with that arbitrator which is very different to the court process where you rarely have a reserve judge so Every time you go to court, you have a different judge dealing with your case. And also both mediation and, confident, uh, and um, arbitration have the benefit of, benefit of confidentiality, which is really key in a family law context. That means that the court um, allows reporters in to hear about cases. And although you can apply for reporting restrictions, the default position is that the journalists are there. Whereas in mediation and arbitration, confidentiality is absolutely assured. Yeah, so you can absolutely see the difference and the benefits of the process. Um, yeah. Everybody, um, I'm Nick Mayhew, Managing Director here at Olympic Strategy this morning, interviewing uh, Suzanne Kingston, who's sort of world leading family lawyer, arbitrator, mediator. Um, um, Suzanne, we'll get into the, um, the sort of how of mediation in a little bit, but um, I mean, is it, if this wasn't enough in terms of important extension of your learning, um, you then had the opportunity to take it globally and just tell us a little bit about that and then let's get into uh, some of the nitty gritty of mediation. So having trained and really got the job at the Chartered Institute of Arbitration, I am a fellow of a, an organization called the International Academy of Family Lawyers. And so I know lots of lawyers around the world. I obviously deal with lawyers around the world in my day-to-day -day job as well, because you probably know London's the divorce capital of the world. So we often have cases that have an international element. Right. Knowing those people and really talking to people around the world about how we were evolving in family law terms led other jurisdictions to say to me, wow, we'd like a piece of that action. Is it possible for you to come and train us across the world? And uh, I think you'll see there on the slides some cities or places that I've been able to train. And it's just been an amazing journey, literally. So from Hong Kong to parts of the States, to um, Australia, South Africa, Germany, Scotland, Spain. Just amazing to have those options um, as well. So sort of something that I really loved, had a passion for really wanting to teach other people and get this sort of worldwide movement going. Uh, yesterday, I got contacted by some lawyers in Dublin, and I'm very pleased to say that I'm going to be hosted in Dublin on the 5th of December to some oh. Irish hospitality, so they tell me, to do some training for them. Amazing. Um, what an incredible journey. Uh, thank you very much for sharing about that. Um, so um, I'm, I just wanted to talk about uh, some of the, you know, the ground rules, if you like, or the principles of how to handle mediation. I and mean, people out there may have questions. Yeah. So just, just talk us through. So what, you know, what is it? What is it that you? This is more, I guess, about the how you are as the mediator. You know, what are the principles of how to be as a mediator? Yeah. 
I think you've got to be quite strong in the mediation. I mean, you've got to be kind and empathetic, but you must start the mediation off in the right way, sort of taking control, as it were, so that people know that you're going to be helping them and that you set some ground rules. And one of the ground rules, for example, might be that only one person speaks at a time, that if there's a really big issue in the room and there wants to, any party wants to separate and move um, away into another room that that would be entirely possible they just need to say but setting some really really clear ground rules so that people understand how the mediation is going to operate I think is key also going through the mediation principles explaining how the mediation is going to work on the day but also more generally for example reminding the couple that mediation is a voluntary process and they don't need to stay in it if they if they're finding it too difficult or too hard that you're not a judge you're not going to impose a settlement but rather that what um, you'll be doing is helping them by facilitation and that you'll be using your skills to do that to see if you can reach an outcome so I think just really sort of grounding people into the process so they feel happy that they understand how the mediation works generally and also specifically for them on that day. Uh, in advance of the mediation, I would always send an agenda and I'd send it out to the couple together. So I have always a series of three-way emails or if lawyers are involved in the mediation, which they can be, five-way emails so that everybody receives any documentation at the same time they'd receive the agenda and the agenda I'd say this is what my thoughts are but obviously if you want to tweak it very happy for you to make suggestions um, and we work to the agenda because I think that's really important in a family law context mediation is often an hour and a half to two hours people tend to tire after that or it's a bit stressful yeah particularly yeah. if you haven't seen your spouse for a long time and this is the first time you're sitting opposite um, them in the room, I think that's a sort of appropriate time to deal with it. So setting out an agenda for that. Um, being strong but empathetic and kind, as I've said, and focusing on the future. So when people want to keep pulling you back and, and talking about the past, to try and get them future focused, and look at a new reality for them, a new way of working in their new family situation, I think really helps. Yeah, I mean, we, we uh, I think we'll take a similar approach and try and get people to look ahead and think about how the solutions they're coming up with are going to affect things, um, you know, in, in the future. But we do, uh, in, in our approach, need to go through um, you know, we need to go through honestly where things are right now. Mm -hmm. So uh, there, there is a danger in rooting around in the past a little bit, and people will slip back into that as soon as you give them an opportunity. It's quite easy to start getting quite accusatory, quite blamey, and then of course the emotions start to to kick in. And so um, you have to manage that very carefully and keep the focus in the right place but at the same time hold them through talking through some of what's happened because there is a need to sort of get over that and and build the trust so I'm just curious about what's your approach when like obviously in some of the uh, mediations you've done there have been some very strong negative feelings yeah 
how how do you you know in the moment handle that what's your approach sometimes i reality test with them what the alternatives would be so however I think we might have just lost you. Sorry, everybody, if you can still hear me, um, just wondering whether we've lost Suzanne. She might just click back in in a second. Discussing things, I explain how to, I think, um, on you. So I, I think that's entirely different. Um, so I think I, I'm, I, I would always do that. I'd obviously ask people if they want to break, if things are getting too much for them and ask them to be then in separate rooms, go and visit each of them in the room and perhaps for a while do what we call shuttle um, mediation, where I am the one shuttling between the two, reporting back to see whether or not I can get it back on track and back in the same room. I'm hoping everyone can hear now. I think Suzanne, you just uh, dipped out for a minute there. We heard about the shuttling. Yeah. Um, I'm not. Uh, you may have said something just before to, um, moving between the rooms. Yeah. So I, I would suggest having a break or perhaps reality testing. Did you hear that bit? Just no. saying what would happen in court so that they understand if this fails, what their alternative is going to be. No. And that's often something that they need to hear to keep them, as it were, rowing in the same direction. I often sort of have this um, metaphor of being in a rowing boat and trying to row in the same direction together rather than fighting against each other and falling in the water. So some pressure, just a reminder, a gentle reminder that the alternative is worse just to keep them focused on it. Exactly, exactly. Uh, it's really important stuff. So, I mean, I, I guess you probably can't do it in your context, but when we take leadership teams away, one of the things we try and do also is bring in a physical facilitator mm -hmm. um, and use um, someone who's really good at handling uh, the body energy. So, you know, there's very different things that you can do to help people relax and just let the energy sort of drain away from them, because often you find it's kind of built up as tension inside them. And we find that that helps uh, just mm, bring the energy level back up when they're getting tired. Like you were saying, after a couple of hours, it can be exhausting this because the sort of mental processing is, you know, is full on, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, although that doesn't happen so much in mediation, in collaborative, you would often have what's called a family consultant or um, sometimes in the US a divorce coach. I hate that phrase, but that's what it is. Yeah. Um, helping people just think more broadly about the divorce and how what other things they need. So whether they need to you know, balance their life better, talk a bit more about meditation, physical yeah. activity, et cetera. And I think we're talking about the same sorts of things there. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and being in a place where it's safe, where you can go for a walk if you need to, where you can re-energize if you need to, I think all those things are really valuable just to help the process. And also food is a key thing in mediation. I think always having some fruit and nut around is a, a good yeah. idea. I mean, I would say to people, it's amazing when you're just sitting talking about this stuff, just how much energy you use. But actually, yeah. you, you you know, people drain um, because yeah. the, the brain is fully on when you're going through these really difficult conversations. And, yeah. it, and, it, and it is very energetic. It's very even though you're sitting still quite often, it's a very energetic process. It's interesting. Absolutely. 
that, that was really wonderful. Um, and um, I, um, so just last piece, really, I wondered if, so you, um, you were telling, telling me uh, a really sort of touch, you know, touching story about your own personal health in the last few years. And I just thought the audience would be really interested to hear as a professional woman in, um, you know, in the, the world of family law and mediation, um, you know, what's happened to you and how that's informed your practice? Yeah, so last year I uh, was diagnosed with cancer and it was came as an absolute bolt out of the blue, total shock. I'd been really fit, run marathons, etc. And I'd honestly always thought that my health was invincible. I found it really hard to come to terms with initially, but then immediately switched on that sort of pragmatic, practical side, how best to deal with things. So uh, knowing that I was going to have major surgery, uh, I decided to work on my core so boxing in the morning and yoga at night the yoga for the mind I thought would be really helpful and then got through um, the cancer thank god I'm currently in remission but I've noticed quite a lot of changes about how I am both as a leader and as a, a person and also I suppose as a lawyer um, before, I think I was kind to people going through divorce, but now I'm probably even kinder. I have an understanding of a terrible situation and how it might impact you. So I think that's really important. Kindness and empathy. Gratitude, I think, a major thing. Yeah. And also living every day. I mean, really thinking all the time, cross-checking. And this is interesting for me. You know, I could have given up work. I was at an age where I didn't have to work. So if I wanted to, I could have, but I thought, no, I'm really passionate. I absolutely love what I do. The one thing it's taught me is I really wanna keep going. I want to keep advancing, keep thinking of new methodologies, doing this training around the world. I'm just back from Cape Town. So really living the life that I want to be my best life. Um, thank you very much for sharing that. And I think that it's interesting um, to hear how our own life experiences like that give us greater perspective um, on the need to help people get to a good outcome when they're in a difficult place. I, I guess the, the wrap up thought for me is that that makes you realise how short life is um, and, you know, how much it's worth to focus on living it as well as you can and if you can help yeah. other people do that it's such a privilege so thank you very much for sharing i think it's a really wonderful insight absolutely thanks for interviewing me oh i've loved it um we only lost you for a minute there i'm not really sure what happened but you just clicked no. out for about 30 seconds but i think we yeah. got we got the main points good so everyone i hope you really enjoyed that uh i certainly did uh, found uh, listening to suzanne really inspiring and just um amazing how you know, uh, her practice went from uh, an insight about a different way to handle um, uh, divorce negotiations has you know, really led to a way of influencing legal practice globally and giving people. I mean, if you think about the ramifications of the change that she's led, it's it's slightly mind blowing, not just for the, the couples and their families and their kids and the future and the costs of all of that, but, you know, also for the efficiency of the legal process um, and the development of competency in terms of options available broadly within the trade. It's just an amazing thing to have achieved. So, um, you know, just thinking about yourselves out there and your own leadership, how, how can you apply those ideas? There's some really key things there, I think, about 
you know, making sure that whenever you're tackling a difficult situation, you start in the right place, you have a clear set of ground rules, um, you use a process, you use outsiders. Uh, we talked a little bit about managing the energy, so eating, make sure people are eating, making sure that the energy is there and different ways of doing that. So this sort of um, the divorce coach idea or managing the body. Um, or, you know, in a way you want to do anything you can do with the environment and the circumstances to make it work best, to get the team engaged, to get everybody on board back in your organization. And I'm sure all of you out there are having situations where there's conflict or difficulty or inertia and the energy is just wrong. So this is a really flexible way of thinking about how you can resolve situations. So what could you do within your own business to use some of these ideas and just get that edge get that additional bit of energy and life into the team um, and then see if that helps you create a bit of competitive advantage. So what's the one thing uh, that you're gonna act on from today's, from today's workshop? And please just take that thought away and go ahead and uh, apply it. And let us know, because we'd always be uh, interested to hear. So just rash, wrapping up as we just um, tick, tick over the nine o'clock uh, point and everyone needs to get back to work. Um, our next um, Strategy Cafe, you can register for this now. If you come online, you can go and find the link. Um, Heather McLaughlin uh, is Dean of Coventry Business School, uh, incredibly experienced lady, um, running uh, a very substantial um, business, really, and uh, incredible insight on uh, two things, really. One, how are business schools trying to evolve to be more meaningful for the business leadership community? And also, um, what is the context of challenge for the business school business? So the business of being a business school is kind of like the subject of the next session. And Heather is just really insightful on that. So wonderful to listen to her about disruption and leadership in the business school world. Go online and register now. It should be a super exciting uh, webinar. Um, and if you like today and you want to come and connect, uh, they've still got one or two places. So um, early, early takers, if you want to do this, get in quick. Um, me and Emma Stroud, who did the uh, wrap-up speech at our Meaningful Human Leadership Conference, which was really well received. Uh, Emma is a clown, an actress, um, and she's uh, an amazing um, um, coach, business leader coach. And we're working together on breaking through to higher performance with uh, your communication, how to have real impact in communication. So it'll be a lively interactive session coming up on 6th of November. Just let us know if you want to come along to that. Um, and if you like today's uh, webinar, you can also just sign up to listen to Yincast, which is uh, a more reflective uh, broadcast from us, another another um, podcast that we do. And also don't forget to subscribe to Yin and Tonic, and, um, which is our magazine, our, our newsletter, and you can get all of our updates and all the dates and all that kind of stuff. It comes out fairly regularly, so that will keep you up to date with everything, everything Alembic. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening. Have a wonderful day and we we'll hope to see you online again at the next edition of Strategy Cafe.